0: Children's Church now, ages four years old through kindergarten. Acts chapter 24, Acts chapter 24. You should have received an outline in your bulletin. If you did not, get one, if you'll raise your hand. And our ushers will get you one of those here momentarily. So where's Mark? He's back there on the back row. Good Baptist this morning, right? So Mark, we need to practice something, right? Did I hear that Mark um, announced we were taking up the Lance Armstrong Easter offering this morning? What was that? Annie Moon. Wow, okay. Well, you know, that's okay. That's all right. We get them, them, the names mixed up a little bit. That's good. So I appreciate you doing that. It's... uh, Just a name, right? It's just a name. Most important thing is that we're given uh to to the Lord and given to spread the gospel. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. I just had to give you a hard time, Mark, so that's uh that's all. Well, this morning we're continuing in our series on the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 24. We are approaching the end of Acts, right? We're getting there. A few more chapters, uh, then we'll be there. I want to share a story with you this morning. Uh, story told by a gentleman by the name of Mark Ashton. He tells a story about a philosophy professor at the University of Illinois by the name of Roger Wingert. And this professor, Roger Wingert, often begins, he says, his introductory ethics classes by asking how many of his students believe that truth is relative. Usually when he asks that nowadays, he usually gets a show of hands that represents about two-thirds to three-fourths of the students that he has in his class two-thirds to three-fourths of them think that truth is relative so he goes on he to discuss the syllabus kind of all the normal things a professor does discusses the syllabus test dates papers content of the course but then he informs the class that they will not be graded on all of that stuff but instead he is going to grade them based on their height Just like you. Yeah, exactly. He gets a few chuckles and so forth. Usually gets a tall guy, says, amen. Until he says, short people get A's, tall people flunk. (laughs) Rhonda, what do you say to that? Amen, Amen, right? Amen. Well, uh, as he continues with the ruse, inevitably a student raises their hand and says, Professor, that grading system is not fair. To which he says, listen, I'm the professor, I can grade however I I want. The students insist, but what you ought to do is grade us according to how well we learn the material. You should look at our papers and, and exams and see how well we've understood the content of the course and grade us on that. Everybody, of course, nods, especially the tall people, right? They nod and everything. Then he replies, he says, by using words like should and ought, you betray your alleged conviction that you say that truth is relative. If you were a true relativist, you would believe that there is no external standard to which my grading system should conform. If my truth and ethic lead me to an alternate grading system than what you think is appropriate, so be it. C'est la vie. According to relativism, I can grade however I want. Now, friends, just like those students, I believe most of you and most people would have a problem with that. Amen? We understand that truth is not relative, that there is an absolute truth. Friends, yet many people in our world today continue to insist that truth is relative, and therefore, they can do whatever they want. Well, listen, we're not going to get overly philosophical today. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen, all right. But right? We're going to get real practical. I just want to simply ask you a question. How many of you saw the picture on the front? Did you like that? Some of you hadn't even looked at it, have you? All right. You'll uh, you'll catch on to that later. Uh, But uh, the question I want to ask this morning is this. What do you do with truth? What do you do with truth? Uh, We believe that truth is absolute, that it's not relative, and that here is the written word of truth, that truth was a person in the name of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But just what do you do with truth? Uh, What do you do with truth in general? Uh, in our text today, we're going to see how three different men handled the truth, uh, how they related to the truth, how they responded to the truth. And, and, and I want to simply ask you a question. I want you, as we look at these three men today, I want you to simply ask yourself, which one of these men do I most resemble? Which one of these men do I most resemble? So take your outline this morning. Number one, the first man we're going to look at is a man by the name of Tertullus. Are you like Tertullus? Do you manipulate the truth? Do you manipulate the truth? Now, Tertullus was one of those guys who used some truth, who added a lot of half-truths, and even stretched the truth quite a bit, right? You know, so you know anybody like that? The reality is he had no problem with manipulating the truth to uh, his advantage to, in order to get what he wanted and to get what uh, the Jews wanted. So let's see what our text says and let's see what Tertullus says. Look at chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now, after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. Now, where were they going? If you remember in chapter 23, Paul had been taken to where? Caesarea, and, uh, which was uh, kind of the uh, Roman headquarters in that area. He'd been taken there and had been, uh, was being held captive until uh, the, his accusers came to present their case. And so here they are about five days later. Uh, the, the elders of the Jews and the high priest come, those from the Sanhedrin, but they bring a guy with them by the name of Tertullus. Now, the version New King James Version says that he was an orator. Some of your versions may say that he's an advocate. Uh, what's a term we use for that nowadays? A lawyer, right? A lawyer. He was their version of a lawyer. A little bit different though. While he was versed somewhat in Jewish law and Roman law, uh, he was a lawyer, and in, 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 in this type of position, people would hire them much like we would hire a lawyer today to represent us. But he was more of a speaker than he was an expert in the law. And so uh, that's why some of the translations translated orator because he was, he was well versed in speaking and presenting a case. And so that's why the Jews brought, them, brought him with them so that he could present their case to Felix. It says, these gave evidence to the governor, Felix, against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Now, it's a good thing that Tertullus was a flatterer, <laughs> That's kind of what he starts off doing here. He's just flattering Felix. And uh, it's a good thing he was because Felix was not a great ruler. Uh, he was a corrupt man and, and a wicked man. And he really, really didn't even care about doing what was right, as we'll see a little bit later on. Uh, so uh, here, Tertullus gives the obligatory uh, 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 niceties and so forth, and then begins what he really came to say. Verse 4 says, Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy, or by your kindness, a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews. Now, it's interesting there that they call him a plague. It's just literally, they're they're saying, listen, uh, the first accusation we have against this guy is he's a pest. That's not too solid of a accusation, right? How do you prove that other than he was irritating them? Uh, but that was their really their, their first statement there. We found this man a plague. He's a pest, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So we see here that he's thrown some truth in here. Paul was a leader of the Christians or, or what they were referring to here as the Nazarenes because Jesus was from Nazareth. And 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 did he create dissension? Paul didn't create dissension. The message that he said a lot of times caused dissension in places because of those who did not accept it. Uh, But that was not Paul. Paul was not a creator of dissension and he was definitely not a pest. Verse 6 says, He even tried to profane the temple. And we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. So what did he mean here? That's a little bit of an exaggeration there uh, or just an outright lie. Paul didn't profane the temple. He did nothing against the temple. Uh, What he's referring to here is the accusation they made last week, if you remember, that Paul had brought Gentiles into the temple. Jews considered that profaning of the temple, except that Tertullus couldn't say that. Why? Because Felix was a Gentile. (laughs) It would have offended Felix. He couldn't really say that. So he just kind of uh, lies, exaggerates, and and says... He even profaned the temple. Look at what he says. He goes on. Verse 7. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands. Let me ask you a question. Is that how it happened? It's not how it happened at all. In fact, it wasn't Lysias who came with violence. But it was Lysias who rescued Paul from the violence at the hands of the Jews. Again, twisting... The truth, manipulating it to his advantage to make it look like uh, that they uh, are the just ones in this case. Says he came by with great violence, took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. Also, a little bit of a stretching of the truth. Tertullus makes it sound like Lysias put a big burden on them that they had to come and they had to present this case. When in reality, they didn't have to go to Felix, but they wanted to go and present that case and push the matter against Paul. But even their lies, even we see with the lying and all the twisting that their case did not amount to anything actually deserving of death. Verse 9 says, all the Jews who had come also assented, maintaining that these things were so. So, Tertullius' accusations, even what he said with all the lying and the manipulating, uh, even with all the lies, actually confirmed what, Felix, uh, what Lysias had told Felix in his letter instead of denying. Listen, all you have to really do is look through the lies, Amen. And you see the same story there, what Lysias confirmed and so forth, taking out the lies. Tertullius was just like the rest of Paul's accusers, a liar and a manipulator of the truth. Friends, how about you? How about you? How do you relate to the truth? Are you truthful in the way you relate to others? Or like Tertullus, do you try to manipulate the truth to your advantage? Do you twist the truth to get what you want? I think we find it in in, in our day that it's very easy to do that, right? A lot of times we twist the the truth to protect somebody or to not say something that we think might hurt somebody's feelings and so forth. And so we end up twisting the truth or to protect ourselves. Listen, uh, when we we twist and manipulate and lie uh, with the truth, you know what we're actually doing? Uh, there are three things. I want to just give you three things here. First of all, when you lie and manipulate and twist the truth, first, first thing you're doing is you are destroying the very foundation of your relationships. Friends, when people don't know if they can trust you or not, guess what? Your relationships will just be superficial. You'll never have any deep, true friendships if if people don't know if they can trust you or not. If they don't know if what you're saying is true or not, or if you take if you're giving them the whole truth, or if you're twisting it or whatever, you end up destroying the very foundation of our of your relationships, friends. If we can't have trust as the foundation of a relationship, how, how do we how are we even to relate to each other? Amen. How do we even uh, be on on terms with each other when we can trust each other? So that's the first thing you do when you lie and manipulate the truth. Second thing you do when you manipulate and lie about the truth, is you create undue stress on yourself. Who can remember all the lies? Right? Who can remember all the lies you've told and and keep them all straight? Friends, nobody's got time for that, amen? Nobody's got time for that. Listen, you will take more time and energy and effort in trying to remember all the lies and trying to remember what you said before and how you say it again and how you don't say what you, what you shouldn't. You know, have you ever been around somebody and, and, and I don't know about you, but I don't memorize every conversation I have. But somebody then, they, they've told you some things and later on they tell you something and you're just kind of scratching your head and you're like, that doesn't match up with what they said. Oh, and here's what I usually do. Maybe that was me, Right maybe i just don't remember it but but here's the it keeps a distance in that relationship and all they're doing is hurting themselves they're undermining the relationships and listen uh, they're creating undue stress by having to try and remember all of those lies friends listen that's why coming to jesus and confessing and living a clean with a clean conscience is is the only way to truly be free amen Listen, when you live honestly before the Lord, you don't have to remember all the lies. You don't have to have all that confusion in your head. You can live with a totally free conscience as the Apostle Paul said he did. Amen? So not only are you destroying the very foundation of your relationships, not only are you creating undue stress in your own life, but friends, when you lie and manipulate the truth, you are actually deceiving yourself and even violating your own conscience. Listen, some people tell so many lies that it becomes it, it becomes where it's not even a big deal to them anymore. It becomes a habit for them. They see truth as something to be manipulated for their advantage instead of something to live by. And, and, and by doing this, what they're inadvertently doing is searing their conscience. They're hardening their heart. They're damaging uh, what's on the inside. And they're creating a facade that others know them by but is not the real them. Friends, when you make lying and manipulating uh, the truth a habit in your life, you hurt yourself, but you not only hurt yourself, you hurt others as well. Amen? You say, but pastor, I don't tell any big lies. The lies I tell are just little bitty lies. I just tell a little white lie every now and then, right? and maybe I, maybe I fib every now and then, stretch the truth, but pastor, listen, it doesn't hurt anyone, I promise you, It I would never hurt anybody. Researcher Dan Airely recently did a massive study to try to understand why some people lie, cheat and steal. Airely and his team went to multiple co- college campuses and offered to pay students for every math puzzle they could solve in five minutes. Good way to make money for students, right? At the end of the five m- minutes, the students were asked to grade their own papers and then take them to the back of the room and shred them, then come back to the, uh, uh, to the researcher and report how many they got right. What the students didn't know was that the shredder in the back didn't actually shred the papers <laughs> so that the researchers could go back and check to see if they were actually telling the truth. When the researchers actually went back and and checked on all of that, what they found out was that on average, students reported that they uh, solved six problems on average when they actually only solved four. However, over the course of their research, they tested over 30,000 students in countries all over the world. They only found 12 people who could be classified as big cheaters. Only 12 out of 30,000 could be really just kind of cheated a ton. And they we say, wow, well, that's pretty good, Pastor, right? Well, not so fast. While they only found 12 big cheaters, they found 18,000 little cheaters. Relatively small cheaters who only stole, who only misreported a couple of a couple of a couple of uh, problems that they said they got right that they really didn't, and so ended up only stealing a couple of dollars a piece in their reward. Now that doesn't sound too bad, right? Until you do the math. That's when, when you see that, that even little things add up. The total amount the big cheaters ended up uh, cheating them out of was uh, only totaled hundred and fifty dollars. While the total amount the small cheaters stole was about $36,000. Here's what the researchers concluded. They came to the conclusion that most dishonesty happens among ordinary people who think of themselves as basically honest. But when added together... All this little dishonesty has a huge impact. People that think they're basically honest, but they just lie every now and then. They just tell a little white lie or a little, short, a little fib here, a little stretch the truth every now and then. Here's what he says. says, most of the problems faced by the human race are not rooted in the lives of life's big cheaters, but are rooted in the lives of typical ordinary people who constantly find ways to rationalize their own sinful behavior. It's kind of what we do, isn't it? We rationalize. We, we, we come up with excuses. We, 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 we In our mind, uh, we, we, we talk it through and we talk ourselves into that something's okay when it's really not. You know, I mentioned something last week. And I said most people, I believe, already know what right and wrong is. I believe uh, most already know Uh, when God's telling them something many times people will come and say pastor what should I do in this situation and many times for me it's just guiding people to help them have confidence in what God's already telling them and so friends I believe many times we already know we just talk ourselves into because why because we want to do what we want to do and we don't know do what God wants us to do right and so we lie and we manipulate the truth to our own advantage what does God say about lying how does God feel about lying? I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. You can turn there if you will, or if you want to. It's in your outline this morning. It'll be on the screen here behind us. I want you to just look at this. It's a good thing to teach your kids. Okay. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 is a good thing for you to memorize. These six things the Lord hates, Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. We know pride goeth before fall, right? A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to r- in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Which is usually done how? By lying. By lying. Friends, based on that scripture there. Based on that scripture. I think we need to ask ourselves an honest question. As As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who try to follow the Lord, are we one of those who occasionally lies or manipulates the truth to our own benefit? Are we guilty of that? Friends, I think if we are honest with ourselves, we all can say, yeah, I'm guilty. You know what the only solution to that is? The only solution, friends, to a lying, manipulating Uh, uh, Spirit is to allow the Lord Jesus to change our heart. To allow Him to come into our lives and Him to transform us and change us from the inside out. Amen? See, too often we try to change us from the outside in. And many times we don't even worry about the inside. We just try to conform on the outside. Listen, it's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about conforming to a standard on the outside. We're talking about recognizing that there's wickedness in our heart. And that until we come and confess that before God and acknowledge that before God and realize that the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can cover that and pay for our sin and change us, then we're going to continue to be deceitful, lying, manipulative people. Friends, let Jesus change your heart. Amen? You say, oh, Pastor, well, I'm just not like that. You know, uh, you hear when you hear... um Especially athletes coming and making a confession and so forth. They've done something wrong and they say, a lot of times they say, well, that's just not the kind of person I am. I know that. I was raised differently than that. Well, you may have been raised differently than that, but it is the kind of person you are because it's the kind of person we all are. We're all sinful people. And until we acknowledge that and acknowledge that there is a problem in our heart that is called sin. And it is a desire to do what we want to do and not what God wants us to do. Until we acknowledge that and we confess that to him and we allow him to come in and change that, then we're going to continue to have problems with this. Amen? Amen. Let Jesus come in and change your heart. Let's not be manipulators of the truth. Friends, I want to encourage you. Don't be like Tertullus. But instead, let's be like Paul. Amen? That's the second person we come to today that we want to look at. Let's be like Paul. Are you like Paul? Do you stand on the truth? I want you to look at verse 10. Let's see how Paul responded to the accusations. Verse 10 says, Then Paul... After the governor had nodded to him to speak answered inasmuch as i know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation i do the more cheerfully answer for myself now i don't know if that was a little dig at the jews or not i kind of think it is a little bit but here's what paul is saying listen paul didn't need anybody else to answer for him right friends when you're telling the truth you can answer for yourself amen listen i don't need a lawyer to come out and i don't need to make a statement right <laughs> Listen, if you're telling the truth, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to cover up. That's what Paul was doing. Look at what he says. I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it's no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Here, he's refuting the charges that he had profaned the temple. He didn't do that. Verse 13, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust." Now, I want you to look at his statement here at the beginning of verse 14. Uh, isn't this statement that Paul makes going to incriminate him? Here he is admitting that he is of the way. He is admitting that he is, as they said, of the sect of the Nazarenes, that he is a leader of, uh, of the Christians. Won't this verify their claims? Friends, I don't believe Paul was worried. Paul wasn't worried a bit. He hadn't done anything wrong in God's eyes. He hadn't done anything wrong that they that was deserving of death or that they could really pin anything on him. He hadn't done anything wrong. And therefore, he could live with a clear conscience. Look at verse 16 says, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. We talked about that last week, but that's simply that as soon as we feel like, as soon as the Holy Spirit points something out in our life, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but that that when the Holy Spirit points something out in our lives, we deal with it biblically, right? That we confess that and we get it out of our lives and we turn back to the Lord. He says in verse 17, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. In the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. So here he is describing, remember James and them had come up with the plan uh, to to, to get Paul to uh, go with these guys who were taking a vow and to purify themselves and to present themselves in the temple to show the Jews that Paul wasn't against the temple. Well, they saw what they wanted to see, didn't they? Instead of the truth. He says, they ought to have been here. He says, I I neither, neither incited them, neither with a mob, nor with tumult. Verse 19, they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them. And here's the statement he said, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Friends, so Paul again mentions the statement that had incited the Sanhedrin against him, bringing up the fact that, that it is about the resurrection of the dead. It is the resurrection of, of, of those who trust in Jesus Christ to life and all others to death is what he preaches. Amen? Friends, Paul can mention this, friends, because he's not afraid. He does, he's not the least bit intimidated by the interrogations going on. Why? Because he's simply recounting the truth of what happened. Here's the great thing. Listen, when you stand on the truth, when you always seek to tell the truth, then you don't have to keep all the lies straight, amen? You don't have to. Friends, I want to encourage you today to determine before God and, and, and all others, friends, that you, to the best of your ability, are going to stand on the truth. And that when God convicts you of, of something otherwise, that you will quickly turn from it. That's what it means to live with a, good, with a clear conscience before the Lord. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We all sin. And we still may occasionally lie or mess up, not on purpose, but, but by accident. And so when the Holy Spirit convinces us of that, then we are to confess it and turn from it. Amen? And live with a clear conscience before the Lord, friends. That's what it means to stand on the truth. You say, but pastor, if I tell the truth... I'm going to get myself in trouble. That's maybe what you're thinking this morning. Friends, I'm going to simply say, not if you live honestly before the Lord. If you haven't, why not start today? Amen? Friends, telling lies and manipulating the truth is usually done in order to cover up something we did that we shouldn't have done. Amen? You know, in order to keep anyone from finding out, we lie to cover it up. And we do that thinking, okay, well, I, I had the lie to cover this up, but then it's done with, right? Wrong. The problem is, it usually doesn't stop there. It usually takes another lie to cover up that lie to back up the original lie. And then, before long, it, it takes another lie to cover up, and you got to tell another lie. And before long, it just becomes a web of deceit, too difficult to untangle, amen? And oftentimes, too mentally exhausting to keep it straight. <laughs> so what's the solution? What's the solution? How do, we, how do we get out of the web of mess? Because here's the deal. I, I've learned as a pastor that we can sin so much in our lives that we create such a web of mess that it's impossible to untangle it. Can I get a witness? Anybody else been there, done that? How do we, what's the solution to that? What's the solution if we, we found ourselves... Friends, the only permanent solution is to come totally clean before the Lord. Come totally clean. Now, I read something this week and I tried to go back and find it and I couldn't do it. But I read a study this week that, that said what most people do when they confess and, and, and they're they trying to get a, a fresh start is they don't come totally clean. They only confess part of their wrongdoing. And they only confess part of their wrongdoing because they want to confess enough of it to look like they're repentant, but they don't want to confess all of it because they're too embarrassed about it and they're afraid of what people are going to think and all that kind of stuff. What the researchers found, and these were non-Christian researchers, they found out in only confessing part of the, true, or part of the, 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 the sin or part of the lies actually caused them more turmoil on the inside than if they wouldn't even confess to start with. See, the only way to truly get a fresh start, especially in the Lord, friends, is to come totally clean. To come totally clean. To lay it all out on the table. Uh, You say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm so embarrassed by what you did. Well, absolutely, friends. I've done many things I'm embarrassed about. Embarrassment. Do you want to be embarrassed or with Jesus the rest of your life and for all eternity? Listen, I understand that embarrassment. That's that pride in us. That's the pride that keeps us from, from being willing to come and, and just lay it all at the cross. Amen? To admit that, that, yes, I've been deceitful. Yes, I've told lies. Yes, I've done such and such that I shouldn't have. Whatever it is, friends. But when we come totally clean, guess what? And nobody can hold that against us anymore. The devil can't hold that over your head. <laughs> Because you've laid it all out before the Lord. Now, friends, let me say this. It's not easy. There is something inside of us. It's that pride that, that's at the root of everything we, we are that keeps us from wanting to do that. It's not easy, friends. But let me just tell you this. It's also not as difficult as you think. <laughs> Once you take that first step, friends, God will meet you there. Jesus will meet you there with arms wide open. We think, what are people going to think? How are people going to view me? What are they going to say? Here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, praise God. I'm a sinner too. Let's confess our sins and let's get right before the Lord. Amen. Friends, that's what... That's the only way true freedom comes. It's freeing to come clean before the Lord. It's the only way to be totally free. In fact, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You have burdens. You have that turmoil on the inside where you're just trying to keep all that junk straight. You know, I, I, Actually, I believe that many of the mental problems that people deal with in our country is from unconfessed sin. That they've trapped inside and they're just struggling on how to cope with each and every day. Listen, God didn't want us to have to cope. He wants us to live freely. (laughs) Come to the Lord and let let him have it all. Amen? And say, Lord, I'm putting it all at you. I want rest for my soul. Because Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. 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 Rest for your soul. Rest from the chaos. Rest from the restlessness. Amen? Friends, let's be like Paul. Let's come to Jesus. Let's stand on the truth from this point forward. And let's let, let's let the devil... let stop giving him ammunition. Amen? Let's live with a clear conscience before the Lord. So far, we've seen, looked at Tertullus. We've seen how he was a manipulator of the truth. And I believe there's a lot more of that going on in our world and in our culture and probably even in the lives of each and every one here today than we'd like to admit. Second, we saw what it looks like to stand on the truth. Paul stood on the truth. He'd come to the point in his life where he said, listen, this is what it is. I don't need to manipulate the truth. Don't need to lie. I'm standing on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. There's one more man in this story we need to look at. This is a man by the name of Felix, the governor Felix. So I want to ask you, number three, the third question I want to ask you today is this. Friends, are you like Felix? Do you ignore the truth? Friends, it's one thing to manipulate the truth. It's a totally different thing to ignore the truth. I want you to look at verse 22. Here was Felix, sitting back, listening to what Tertullus had to say in the accusations By the Jews, sitting back, listening to Paul's defense and what Paul had to say. Look at verse 22 and let's see how Felix responded. Verse 22 says this, But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings. But what does that mean, having more accurate knowledge of the way? Well, we're not given any more insight. Somehow scripture says he knew a little bit more about christianity than just what the jews came and told him now what we find out in just a couple of verses is that his wife drusilla was jewish so could he have heard about this through her possibly but let me ask you this where was where was this taking place what city it was in caesarea it was in caesarea do you remember what who was who also was in caesarea remember a guy by the name of cornelius cornelius was the centurion who uh, had gotten saved and who Peter had gone. God had uh, given him the vision and Peter had gone and shared the gospel and Cornelius and his whole household had, had received Christ. What was Cornelius? He was a centurion. Could it be that Cornelius had won maybe many other of the centurions to Christ? Could it be that Felix had heard about Christianity from all those, maybe even Cornelius himself, who was telling him about what Jesus had done for him? Here's what Felix knew. Felix knew that the Christians weren't rioters. They didn't stir up a lot of trouble. He simply knew what they did stand for and what they taught. And because of that, he knew that what the accusations were against Paul were really false. So it says he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. Now, what does he mean by this? Lysias had already written a letter. Friends, what Felix is doing here is is he's simply procrastinating. He's putting off making a decision. Uh, Why would he need to hear from Lysias? Lysias had already explained his side in the letter that he had sent. The truth was, and I believe Felix saw it right here, and I believe that's what that scripture means, is that Paul was innocent of the charges that they brought against him. It's evident that Felix didn't really consider Paul a true criminal. Look at what he says, or what goes on in verse 23. Says, so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty or freedom, and told him not to forbid any of Paul's friends to provide for or visit him. So uh, he, he said, I want you to keep Paul. Uh, uh, why didn't he release Paul? Well, what would the Jews have done if he rele- they were to release Paul? They would have rioted, right? There would have been great unrest. In fact, over in verse 27 it says he wanted to do the Jews a favor. So, he couldn't exactly release Paul. The the Jews would that, but he knew Paul was innocent and he couldn't punish him either. So, he just procrastinated. He just didn't make a decision. He knew the truth. He knew what he should do, but Felix just ignored the truth of the situation that Paul was innocent and put off making a decision. But friends, that's not the only truth that Felix ignored and procrastinated on. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 tells us, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. So here, he uh, uh, evidently what was going on, Felix was curious. Felix wanted to hear what Paul had to say, so he sent for him. Maybe Drusilla initiated this, we don't know exactly, but verse 25 says... Now as he, Paul, reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. So what happened when Paul shared the gospel, shared the fact that he's going to stand before God one day, he's going to give an account of what he did, and if, if, he, doesn't, uh, and if he doesn't put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then that's going to mean an eternity in hell separated from God. Felix was afraid. It means he was convicted. He was fearful because of what Paul had said to him. But how did he respond? Did he respond to the gospel? Did he get saved? Look what it says. It says he answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Friends, so many people today do the exact same thing. When they are confronted with the truth of the gospel, when they are confronted with the truth that they're going to have to give an account before God of their actions when they're confronted with the truth that what Jesus did for them, and they have to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, they, they see the truth, but they're unwilling. They think, well, you know what, I, 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 I just can't, I can't deal with that right now. And they put it off. Can I just say this, friends, that putting off a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ is the same as rejecting Him? Someone once said, well, you know, I'll, I'll just wait. I believe every person has a time when, they are supposed to, when, they get, when they're supposed to get saved. And when the time's right, uh, I, I'll trust in Christ. Friends, how do you know when that time's going to be? Could be now. Could be now. Could be right now. Amen? Friends, listen, we need to not put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen? Today is the day. Look what Felix did. Verse 26 says, Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. So still kind of on the fence, putting it off. He was looking for a reason to go one way or another. Remember, Felix was uh, not uh, an honorable ruler. He was a wicked man. Therefore, it says, uh, because he was looking for money from Paul, he sent for Paul more often and conversed with him. So... It tells us in the next verse, for two years, after two years, excuse me, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. For two years, Felix, off and on, would call for Paul. You know Paul, and it tells us here that Paul would share the gospel with him. Paul would tell him about Christ. Felix would probably have questions and so forth. But, friends, over and over again, Felix would hear the gospel, friends, but Felix would never respond to the gospel. We have no record of how he responded. Friends, listen, it's one thing to always be manipulating the truth, but the reality is to ignore the truth is really no better. Amen? That's what many people do today. They've simply decided that they're going to pretend the truth doesn't exist. They're going to pretend that there is is no truth, that all truth is relative and that what you believe is fine, may be fine for you, but I believe something different. And, 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 and so they, they, they ignore and they just uh, put it out of their minds by doing that. Many decide that they're going to pretend that God doesn't exist, friends, and that because there is no God in their minds and they can do whatever they want to do. Friends, here's the problem with that. God does exist. And we're all going to answer before Him one day. Amen? We're all going to be held accountable to Him. Friends, here's the sad story, sad thing about our story today. Despite... And think about this, despite all those times over those two years that Felix called Paul and heard the gospel and heard him talk about Christ and heard him talk about that we're sinners and we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Despite all the times he must have heard the gospel, there is no record in scripture anywhere that Felix ever trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He simply put it off and put it off. And put it off until one day it was too late. Friends, there's no evidence that Felix ever accepted Christ. But let me tell you this. There is evidence about what waits each and every one of us after we die. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says this. For it is appointed for men to die once. What does it say? But after this, the judgment. Friends, here's the deal. We're all going to stand before God one day and give an account Of our lives. Here's the scary thing. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. You know this morning we talked about lying. And talking about living uh, based on the truth in our lives. Here's the problem friends. We're all liars. Not me pastor. I've never told a lie in my life. (laughs) You just did. That's right. You just did. If that thought even remotely went through your mind. Listen, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and, talked to, and, and, and they literally say, No, I don't sin. I've never done anything wrong. <laughs> oh, man, we are deceiving ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves. See, the problem is that we are liars at heart. We are deceitful. And our, our, our very, the very nature of our hearts and the very nature of sin is that we try to cover it up. Friends, that's the nature of lying. Here's the thing, we're all gonna stand before God one day, amen? We're all gonna give an account of our life, friends, but here's the deal. If we stand before God without Jesus, we're all in trouble. If we stand before God and we have Jesus, then guess what? Listen, He is our lawyer, He is our advocate. He is the one who has paid the price for our sins. He is the one, friends, who we can stand there confidently in. Not because uh, I'm not the person I used to be. Even though Jesus changes us, that's not the merit which gets me into heaven. I don't have any merit on my own that gets me into heaven. Jesus gets me into heaven. It's His shed body and blood on the cross that is the only thing that can get me into heaven. And the redemption that is available in Him as His body and His blood covers my sin. That and that alone, friends, is how I can spend eternity with Him. Amen? What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in, friends, to get you there? How are you living your life today? Friends, what are you standing on? What's the truth that you can't base your life on? You see, that's what we're really talking about. We talk about truth and we may talk about, well, in this situation, this is the truth, whatever. Friends, as I started out this morning, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Friends, I have decided that this book is true. I have decided that what it tells me is true. I have decided that when it describes me as a sinner, I can relate to that. I know that's true. I choose to trust that what it tells me that God did for me. That when Jesus died on the cross, that God was willing, God the Father was willing to accept his sacrifice as The penalty and punishment for my sins. So that if I would put my faith and trust in him and him alone. I can be redeemed and saved and my sins can be forgiven. That's the truth that I stand on. Amen. That's That's what frees me and allows me to live my life based on that truth. And to just live honestly before the Lord. I'm not a perfect man. As long as I live on this earth, till we get to glory, we won't be. Friends, but we can stand on the truth of the perfect, only perfect man who ever lived, and that is Jesus Christ. I want to share with you an interesting story to close today. On February 24th, 1948, one of the most unusual operations in medical history took place in the Ohio State University's Department of Research. A stony covering was removed from around the heart of a 30-year-old man by the name of Harry Bashara You say, why was there a stony covering around the heart of this man by the name of Harry Bashera? Well, when Harry Bashara was only a boy, he had been accidentally shot by a playmate with a 22 caliber rifle. The bullet had gone in and lodged in his heart, but believe it or not, for some reason did not kill him. If they were to go in and get the bullet out at that time, they said that would have killed him, so they left it in there. However, the body... As our bodies do naturally, trying to reject foreign substances or to put protection around them, his body began to form a lime deposit around uh, his heart. It began to form a lime deposit over the protective covering of his heart and was gradually strangling his heart. The operation was a delicate one. Where they had to go in, they had to separate his ribs, they had to move his left lung over to one side. But friends, as the stony coating was removed and lifted from his heart, similar even to just an orange being peeled, immediately the pressure on his heart was released. And his heart responded by expanding and then beginning to pump normally. Now, as difficult of a surgery as that was and as difficult as that surgery had been for him... I want you to listen to what Harry Beshara said not long after he came to. He simply said this, I feel a thousand times better already. Friends, so will you. So will you. You see, coming clean before the Lord seems like one of the most difficult things we can ever do. But it's like having that stony sheath removed off of his heart. It all of a sudden lets you breathe again. It gives you freedom. It gives you life. Now and forevermore. Amen. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Close your eyes. Just for a moment. I want to ask you this morning. What's God saying to you? What's God saying to you about where you are? Have you felt the guilt of your sin this morning? Have you felt, man, I am a sinner and I, yeah, I've lied before the Lord. Maybe God's brought some other things to your mind, friends, whatever it is. Listen, here's the deal and here's how we can deal with that biblically. Would you bring it to the, to the cross? As I've said this morning, Jesus died to to cover your sin, to pay the penalty for your sin so that you can be set free. And so I just want to ask you today, right now, right there where you are, would you just turn from your sin and turn to Jesus? Would you invite Christ to come into your life? Saying something like this, Lord, I acknowledge for you today that my heart is wicked. I am a sinner. And I acknowledge before you today that I need you as my Savior. I do believe with all my heart that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And that only by putting faith and trust in you can I be saved. And I want to do that today. Friend, will you right now begin to live your life based on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you will you say Lord Jesus come into my life I give my life to you maybe you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ your Lord and Savior but there's some things in your life that you need to get out you need to come clean before the Lord and you just confess that. Maybe you need to determine this morning if there's some people you need to go to and you need to apologize to and you need to get right with. Friends, let's live it honestly before the Lord. Would you today, as hard as that may be, friends, it could be the best day of the rest of your life. Today, would you take that difficult step? Maybe trusting Christ for the very first time. Maybe getting some things right with Him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, help us this morning to take the steps that we need to towards you. Lord, we know your arms are out open wide to receive us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being willing already, Lord, to forgive us. It's in your precious holy name we pray.